Christmas. As we, as, as, as we head into Christmas, and we'll be talking about this week and next week, um, I want to look at the Christmas story. And I'm going to, again, if you know me, you know I like to pull some odd stuff out. So today's going to be a bizarre one for you. Um, I just blame it on the sickness if you're really going, wow, that was out there. Um, but um, you need to understand that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each were written with a different viewpoint regarding Jesus Christ. Each writer had a group of people that he was addressing, and he had a specific theme that he wanted to teach in each one of the Gospels. So, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew writes the book to Jews, and he wants them to understand that Jesus is king. Uh, Mark is written to prove the idea that Jesus was a servant. Um, John was written to prove to the people that Jesus was God. And Luke was written primarily to the Greek Roman world to show that he was the ultimate man, the son of man. And so consequently, when you understand that, you understand some things about where to find stuff in the Bible, for instance. So for instance, if you want to find the um, miracles of Jesus. Well, God does miracles, so guess what book? John. When you want to find out about the birth of Jesus, you have to stop and think about it for a minute. If he's a king, we're going to talk about his birth because the king has to have a lineage all the way back, right? So we're going to have the birth of Jesus mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. In Mark, Jesus is talked about as a servant. No one cares when a servant was born. All they care is that a servant serves. Um, John presents Jesus as God, and God had no beginning or no end. So the Gospel of John doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, but it does talk about in the beginning um, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he ultimately gets to verse 14 where he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then you get to the book of Luke, which is probably the most famous of the Christmas story. Because he's presenting him as the perfect man, and so you want to know when he was born and who his parents were and all of those kinds of things. So when you understand that, it helps you to kind of understand where to find stuff in the Gospels, and it also kind of helps you to understand and put some of the pieces together. This morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, which is not one we often spend a lot of time in at Christmas, a lot of time though, because we're going to spend time this morning on the first 16 verses which are all the names in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to read them all because I'll just fumble through all of them. But I'm going to focus on a couple of names in particular because I think in those names there is a great Christmas lesson for all of us. Um, when you look at the names that are listed, and, and in some, you can go home and read it sometime this afternoon or this week, Matthew 1, 1 through 16. When you look at that, that whole list of names, you find all kinds of people in there. You find um, Solomon, who had 700 concubines. You find David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. Um, you start to see um, all kinds of uh, odd, normal people, and yet you find incredible people that are, are mentioned. What's interesting about that list that, that we're going to spend our time talking about this morning is Matthew writes to Jews. 
Okay? And in the Jewish world, and don't take offense at this, I'm just telling the way it was, women were considered property. It really didn't have a lot of value. It was Christianity is actually the, the, the first religion that came along and elevated the role of women. And so because of that, women did not play an important role. And yet, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we see a number of women mentioned. The thing that's even more ironic than that the fact that women are mentioned is they are not Jewish women that are mentioned. They are Gentile or Canaanite women. So if you're trying to write to Jewish people and you're trying to prove um, Jesus Christ as king, there are some things in your history that you just want to skip over. And these people would be the people you'd want to skip over, but the writer doesn't. It's like in our family. When my, dad, uh, when my dad's health deteriorated, he got into this genealogy thing, and he started researching our family history. And apparently, and I think it was, it was either the Alamo or Custer's last hand. I think it was Custer's last hand. When they came through Kentucky, where all of my relatives were, one of my relatives joined, uh, and I think it was Custer's group. Or the Custer's, yeah, okay. He joined Custer's group. And at the last battle, uh, what, Battle of Bighorn? Um, yeah, the Battle of Bighorn where Custer got defeated. My great-great-great-grandfather, whoever it was, uh, bailed. And he didn't fight. So in our genealogy, we either have a guy who was brilliant and realized this guy's lost his mind, or we have a traitor and a coward. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which way I look at him, but you know, that, that's one of these odd things in our genealogy. In the life of Jesus, there's a bunch of odd things that it would be easy to skip over. But yet, Matthew doesn't. And I think there's a lesson for it in all of us uh, to really take a look at and, and, and wrestle with what do we learn from these people who were put in this story who most people would have bypassed. So with that in mind, Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, here's what he says. Um, Judah, the father of Perez and Zareth, they were twins, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you know anything in your Bible about Judah and Tamar, this is not a story you want to put in your genealogy. This is one of the most immoral, disgusting stories that there is in the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to try to give you a PG-rated version, okay? Because we have little kids in here. So, um, basically, here's what happened. Um, Tamar was a Canaanite woman. And Judah, Jesus is a lion from the tribe of Judah, okay? One of the, one of the 12 guys. Um, Judah took his oldest son... And gave him to Tamar to marry and have children. They didn't have any children, and his oldest son died. So the custom of the day, consequently, was you would then take your second oldest son, and he would now be the one who was supposed to raise the family. So he gave his second son to Tamar. And they didn't have any children, and he died. So he gave his third son to Tamar, and he's like, you know what, I I see a pattern here. Uh, I don't want anything to do with this woman. So now Tamar is childless and doesn't know what else to do and has basically been rejected, which is a huge big deal. 
So she disguises herself, meets up with her father-in-law, Judah, and they end up having twins, Perez and Zerah. And in the course of that, when he finds out she's pregnant, he's ready to just drop the boom on her. And then he finds out, and his, basically he's, he goes out and says, you know, I want this guy, blah, 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 blah. And then he found out he's the guy. Now, if you're trying to prove Jesus is king, not a story you want to talk about, is it? I mean, that's just kind of one you want to skip right over. It's like Bathsheba, the story of Bathsheba and David. Um, when, when Matthew tells that story, in, in one version, he says, um, the her of Uriah doesn't even mention her name. Okay? And if there's a name you don't want to mention, it's Tamar. And yet, Tamar's in the story. And I think there's a great lesson there for all of us. And here it is. No situation is hopeless. For God to make something good come out of it. This is one of the most hopeless, horrible stories in all of the Old Testament. And yet, the lineage of Jesus Christ comes as a result of that story. Why? I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what, what you have that you, you regret and would love to do again or whatever else. I'm here to tell you this morning, the one thing that we learn about Tamar and the, Christians and the Christmas story is God can bring good out of any of your ugly. There is, and you're going to see a pattern here in a minute, there is hope. The Christmas story is about hope. Going on uh, in verse 5, listen to what this verse says. Uh, we introduced to another couple of people. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. There's another pillar of morality in the Bible, isn't there? Rahab. And when we say the name Rahab, there is always an adjective you put with her, and that adjective would be what? The harlot. That's right. She's a, an immoral Canaanite woman. But... She believes the Hebrew God. And when the spies came into Jericho and they needed a place to hide, at great risk to herself and her family, she takes and hides them. And then when we come and then her family is delivered, and then she ends up in the lineage here of Jesus Christ now. And when you think of Rahab, because you and I always tend to think negative and critically, you think Rahab the harlot, but the reality of it is, Rahab is mentioned as a person of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Because the thing that you see about Rahab in the Christmas story is the issue of faith. She put her trust at great risk in the God of the Hebrews. And then it mentions another one, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Another Canaanite woman. The difference about Ruth is this. Ruth had married a Jew. And so Ruth had been married to a Jew. And what happened was he had passed away. And normally as a Canaanite woman, what she would have done is just gone back to the Canaanites and gotten another husband and gone on with her life. But instead, 
Ruth, goes to her mother-in-law and says, literally, you, her mother-in-law wanted to go back to Jerusalem. And she was going to go back on her own. And Ruth said, no, your people will be my people. I will go with you. I will take care of you. I will support you. I will stick by you. Through a whole fascinating story in Book of Ruth, she ends up meeting Boaz. They end up, uh, through a whole series of things, he ends up redeeming her. And there's a whole kinsman-redeemer story, incredible theology in the fact of, of how he brought her into the Jewish fold. And it's all because, in the story of Ruth, it's about love. And the love that you see in the story of Ruth is an incredible part of the Christmas story. And so one of the things that I see from these three ladies, Canaanite ladies, ladies who are pushed off to the side outside of Jewish things, you see this idea of faith, hope, and love taught as part of their Christmas story. Um, As you go into Christmas this season, as you um, celebrate it, as you talk to people about Christ, um, we were talking about this last night, I I, I can't stress, I I can't stress enough how in order to have a witness and a testimony, you would be amazed at how far kindness goes. Just being kind to people. And you may have opportunities to talk to people about Christ just from simple conversations, about asking about how their day is and what was going on and what they were doing. Um, last week it was a little insane because we, we, we had crazy people show up here for a service. Um, we had a great time. And then we got done and we're like, what are we going to do? I'm, let's go to eat. And we all, a bunch of us went out to eat. Um, you know, and it's like, well, you know, we're crazy enough to drive. We might as well go drive someplace, you know, and of course. Uh, so we went down to Smithland and, um, uh, you, you know, had a great time of fellowship and just encouraging each other. Um, and then went back home. But we had an opportunity to demonstrate to people that were working that day and the hunters that were in there. You know, what it looks like for a group of Christian people to get together, stay sober, and still have fun. You know? Um, so a couple of things as you, as you head into the story. Next week we're going to look at the last part of Matthew, which is about not Jesus is the man, but Jesus is God. But um, a couple of things. First of all, from, from Tamar. I deal with a lot of people who allow their past to hang them up. And they look at mistakes that they've made. They've looked at bad choices that they've made. They looked at things that they've done. And they've come to the conclusion that God really can't use them because of that. In essence, they've lost hope. There is not a one of us here who is a child of God who at the end of a week doesn't come down to communion and say, I wish I would have done some things better. If you come to communion this morning and you say, okay, God, you know, this was a perfect week. I did it all right. May I suggest you find another church? 
because you're the only one here that's going to walk in that down that road. You know, we are all all people who are growing, trying to be more like Christ, and we all have successes and we all have failures. Tamar's story is one of the ultimate failure. She's one where it was a series of bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And yet, when God put this Christmas story together, when the Holy Spirit had to pick people to focus on in the lineage of Jesus Christ, he puts Tamar in there. And one of the reasons I think that Tamar is in this list is that she's a reminder that this whole Christmas season is about hope. And you're going to come face to face all week long with people who have no hope. People who are scared to die. People who are scared about what lies beyond the grave. And many of you have watched on and off uh, the burial of, of, of President Bush this past week. Um, I think there have been some great lessons in that, um, both for us as a nation and for us as individuals. Um, the thing I think that I was most impressed with more than anything else is as people talked about him. They talked about he and his wife really considered the, great accomplish, the greatest accomplishment of their family. And there's something to be said for that. Um, there's something to be said for that. And, you know, I, I want to challenge you with the idea that you may have dropped the ball and you may have made a bunch of bad choices and you may have that ugliness in your background. But Tamar is a great reminder that God is a God of hope. And God can use you and he can use all that ugliness and he can use all that thing that you think is the thing that is the reason you should not serve God. And it's just the opposite. I think with Rahab, you see this issue of faith. That even though she was doing what was wrong, she made a choice to do what was right. And she trusted God to take care of her and her family. And then the long end of the story, she ends up becoming part of the Jewish family and she ends up in the lineage of Jesus. Because we are so Americanized and critical in our thinking, we still call her Rahab the harlot instead of Rahab the woman of faith. So you're going, ooh, that just sounds odd. That's what Hebrews calls her. Through faith, she hid those spies. And if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it's going to be because of faith. You know, we've been through Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. You know, I'm, I'm already buying Christmas gifts. Um, Friday, I bought myself one. Um, I came home and I told my wife, I said, do you want to see what you bought me for Christmas? She goes, well, it would probably be nice. And I said, this is what I bought myself. Um, this is from you. Uh, you know, that's, that's the way I do Christmas. Uh, but I mean, I have bought stuff for other people too, but I, uh, you know, it's that idea of we give gifts 
And, and I go back every, every Christmas, I can, it, it just resonates with me so much. I'll never forget when we were in the old, old church. We had a little lobby and we had a, a bookshelf or a shelf kind of like what we have out here above the coat hangers. And somebody had brought a gift for somebody, but they forgot to put the label on it. And they had set it up on that thing and it sat there for like a month or two months. I don't know what ever happened to it. But I thought, now here's somebody who's gone to the effort to get somebody something and to wrap it. And how sad that nobody got to enjoy it because they never took the gift for themselves. Salvation is the same way. God offers you a gift. But he's not going to unwrap it for you. You're the one that's got to make it your own. Just like Rahab can say all she wanted, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. But until she hid those spies at risk of her own family, now it's real. Now there's a lot at stake. And you see this incredible story, and, and, and don't forget, this season is about a faith and trust in a not a, his, not, not a, not a mysterious Jesus, but a historical Jesus. And then I think the other thing from Ruth is you see this idea of love. There's no reason Ruth should have done what she did. She should have stayed exactly where she was. She should have gone on with her life. She should have married another Canaanite. She should have stayed where she was. There's no obligation for her to take care of her mother-in-law. And yet, she looked at her mother-in-law as her own family and said, I will take care of you. I will walk away from my people. I will make your people my people, even though your people may reject me. And that was a very real issue. And yet, through it all, the people end up bringing her and accepting her because, and part of it's because of the love that she had. And and, and I just want to challenge you because I think sometimes um, we make love about things instead of sacrifice, instead of commitment. Um, in this season, I, I, I want to challenge you to, to, to bring that aspect of, yes, God loved you, but more importantly, um, it's your job and my job to love everybody else, too. And I was reminded of that this week. Um, and I was reminded this week of how much I have become a country person because I didn't like being around all those people. And I, I found my, you know, and I found myself being very critical and very judgmental. And at one point, I stopped back and I went, "Okay, now wait a minute, God, you created every one of these people. It's not my job to to, to pick and choose and judge and and and, and do that. I, I just need to love them as you love them. Um, and sometimes we forget that. We forget that." So I want to challenge you this week as you head into the week. And, and Oh, the last thing was this. It's the idea of uh, Jesus is king. Um, listen to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to jump springboard into this next week. But though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And was born as a human being. 
When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Going on. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, by the way, Matthew uses the term Jesus more than any other term relating to Jesus Christ in the book. He uses the term Jesus Christ three times. Pilate uses it once. All the other references are to Jesus because that name became so important. And he says that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is King. The choice between you and everyone else has to make is this. Are you going to acknowledge him as king in your life here? Or are you going to do it after you leave this world? If you do it here, you spend eternity with him. If you do it there, it's too late. And as he said, You refuse to acknowledge me here, I won't acknowledge you there. You have no part of me. We take this idea of somebody's going to rule your life. You are God. Somebody's going to be king. Somebody's going to be on the throne of your life. The Gospel of Matthew is about his right to be king. These three ladies remind us hope. Your situation is not hopeless. Faith, it's going to require a faith and trust in God as your only way to heaven. And the idea of love. God so loved you that he gave. And I want to challenge us as we go into the Christmas story to not lose that focus. Um, it's so easy. Claire's not here today. She's up with visiting my hurt. Aaron's sister had a, had a baby this week, and they're up there. But what was it, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago? I don't know. My wife got in this Christmas mood and decided to bring down, I call it Whoville. Okay. It's all these lighted houses. We haven't had it out for like five years or so. And so she decided to, so we did that. We, did, we brought down Whoville. But about two, three weeks ago, we have a couple of nativity sets. Um, and... Uh, we had the nativity set. We found one that we forgot that we had, and so we set it on the floor so Claire could play with it. And so after dinner, we were sitting at the table, and Claire started bringing over all of the pieces of the nativity set. And I didn't give her any instruction or anything else. She just set the nativity set there on the table. And you know how, like this one, you know how we do them in a semicircle? She put them all in a circle. And she put Jesus right in the middle of it. And as I watched that, I thought, how is it that a three-year-old can figure out what most adults can't figure out? That this whole season is about Jesus being at the center of it. And I want to remind you that as we head into this season, this issue of faith, hope, and love, 
is an incredible opportunity for us to share Christ with those around us. So I close with this. The genealogy of Jesus Christ reminds us that Jesus is surrounded by history, not just mystery. His background is one of common people who have an extraordinary heritage. These people teach us that the Christmas story of faith, hope, and love is to be shared. Ultimately, it's about Jesus Christ being the king in the center of your life. And if you go through this season and you miss that, you've missed what this thing's all about. Make sure that you have a faith and trust in Christ. Because he loved you, and he, he has a hope and a prayer for your life that he will do exceeding abundantly above anything you could ask or think, if you'll let him. Fill in. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Um, Lord, as we go into the season, it, it, it's so easy to just run from party to party and activity to activity and get all the things done on our checklist that we need done. But Lord, at the end of it, it's not about any of that. Lord, it's about the fact that you loved us enough to come. It's about the fact that you want to be the king in our lives. It's about the fact that we have to put our faith and trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you'll work in each of our hearts that that's what the season would be about. Lord, we can still do all the other stuff. But if we don't make this the center of it, Lord, we've lost what this whole thing is, is, is supposed to be about. So use us, Lord. And as we have opportunity with family, friends, coworkers. May we be able to share Christ with them as well. These things we ask in your name. Amen.